This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Good everything, Nubians, and uh, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, those of you who are joining us for the first time, where you been? Welcome home. Welcome home, first Welcome of all. Home. Those of you joining us on YouTube, okay, hi. Uh, this is Memorial Day weekend. We spent a couple of Memorial Days now. Dr. Carr has gone intensively and extensively into the origins of Memorial Day, even on my radio show on Monday on Urban View. I've pulled some of that in class with Carr into there for those of you. Who Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, we did that. And um, again, don't adjust your screens. Dr. Carr is out in the streets. And I didn't realize this about you because I met you basically and then the pandemic happened. So I always thought you were in your house all the time. But this man is always <laughs> in the streets. Always. You know, because I'm always in the house. So I think of us similarly. No, not always, but we're going to say this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you're, you're at a museum. But before we get started, because you're going to take us on a tour, uh, this is how in class is going to be. Uh, Dr. Carr in the streets giving us things like the African burial ground that we wouldn't normally see except through his lens. And as I was taking my walk this morning, I'm listening to a book that you recommended, Stolen Focus, and I'm at the end of it. And what's fascinating um, Johan Hari is talking about someone I used to work with, Lenora Skenazy. And as he's telling the story of this woman who grew up in a time when she was five, she could walk herself to school, and then she wanted her son to experience the freedom and the independence and the maturity that she grew into as a child. We all remember playing, those of us of a certain age, uh, playing until the streetlights came on. Our parents ain't know where we were, they didn't care. You know, we were out in the streets and don't bring your stinky ass in until it's time for you to eat dinner, take a shower or bath or whatever. But, you know, we spent our childhoods kind of governing ourselves and it, and it created and fomented, a, I think, a sense of something in us. I can't, I don't want to say whether it's better or not, but she tried an experiment at the Daily News. And I remember it like it was yesterday as he's, I was like, Lenore Skenazy? And she Wait, was. I'm I'm in this story. <laughs> this is I'm not just reading about this. I'm in this story. So, right. so <laughs> and, and, and so you know, this is not about that. This is more about you know living long enough to a have certain experiences to have them up close to not just have read about something to have been in it to remember this woman basically got canceled before there was social media. She was mm. hot, and I remember her walking through the you know, and people at the job thought that she was a little off, you know, because I don't know what that does to you to to know something. And then thirty years later, you were you were vindicated, you know. And I just think about the importance of of good journalism, the importance of knowing, knowing things. And I just want to uh, take a moment to thank you for introducing so many of us to so many books, but books are nothing if you're not going to digest them in a way that then allows you to either see the world differently, see yourself differently, go, move to action, to do something differently. Um, it's not just to be on the shelf to look pretty. It's not just to be there. And you don't have to read all of the books. And sometimes it only takes one book. But I just want to thank you because I, I I was very tempted to call you last night to say, what what's the next book I should be reading? Because this book is fire and uh, I'm done with it now. And I'm like, OK, what's next, Dr. Carr? What we got next that's going to open my mind and introduce me to things and myself, you know, because that was my 20 year old self that I got. I was like, yeah, I thought she was crazy, too. And now I, I see she was right. Yes. How many of us, how many of us, thank you, have had that experience? 
we look up and I mean, we're teachers, so we know that happens to us all the time. Years later, people come back and say, yep, well, that's good because we don't expect it to register immediately. Of course, you know. Do we? I mean, I kind of do, you know, and I, I think that's been part of my frustration is like, I just th think everyone should get it. And, and I also realized as I was listening, in the moment when you do radical things, you're going to look like you're crazy. And everyone, most people are Ooh. not going to most people are not going to agree with you. Most people are going to outbeat you. Martin Luther King was an outcast on many levels, right? People, we celebrate him now. And, um, but at the time, a lot of Negro, bourgeois and others did not look yep. at him as somebody that was a savior. They looked at him as a menace because he was raining down, you know, uh, unrest, white people were mad and they, they wanted him to sit down somewhere and go away. That's right. So that's right. And, and he was he was establishment in the black community. His, his parents and Ebenezer Baptist Church and Morehouse man, his sister, who is still with us, of course, many, many, many years on the faculty of Spelman uh, College. And even he found himself strange, even in his own family after they bombed the house there. In Montgomery and Daddy King say, man, you got a baby. You a Coretta. They need to come. She's a little girl. I'm not leaving. Montgomery, it, it very much an outlier, and of course, the how, crazy, how crazy! How crazy did that look? You know, it's like you gonna put your family in jeopardy. You know, you know oh, what I'm it saying. Looked, it I'm insane. saying that to say, you know, we're in a particular time when a lot of people have a lot of things to say, a lot of noise, a lot of people on the sidelines think they in something, talking, flapping their gums. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. until you are truly, you know, um, I, I often go back to the scripture: "Narrow is the road that leads to salvation; few will travel it." Right. And I have to remind Indeed. myself that as I continue to do the things that I'm doing, I don't talk about everything because some people might think I'm crazy. How, how dare right. you think you could do these things? But then watch, you know. That's right. Watch. That's so. right. Well, I mean, it, 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 that's the, that's our challenge, isn't it? I mean, there are moments when possibilities open up because of circumstances. Um, listening to you have the conversations about Florida. You know, we're talking about somebody who, who knows whether he'd be president of the United States or not. I mean, you know, we, we didn't think necessarily, some people didn't think Trump, would, most people didn't. But as a result, he makes people enemies and then, then possibilities open up. I mean, you ban, you can't ban, but you make a show of banning Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb. Now, that poem is not my cup of tea, but it opens up possibilities. And so now people say, we're going to invite Amanda Gorman. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you should invite Sonny Sanchez. But I can't, who am I to say? But, but the whole point is that the possibilities open up. When you see Martin King in Montgomery in 1955 and 56 in the wake of Brown versus Board of Education, the murder of Emmett Till. You don't see E.D. Nixon. You don't see Edgar Daniel Nixon, who has been in that community for decades struggling. You don't initially see Rosa Parks, who has been in that community for decades struggling. You don't see the young people at the segregated high school uh, like Claudette Coleman. But when you see Martin Luther King, you see them. And as Jonathan I runs around the country with his new book on King and everyone's congratulating him on this powerful new book and I'm about halfway through the book and I'm like I'm still waiting for the power but I understand that 
Lawrence Reddick, who was King's first biographer, who wrote the first book coming out of the Montgomery Bus Boycott, and then the Ron Bennett, who wrote the first biography for his classmate, his schoolmate, Martin King, and What Manner of Man in the Wake of the Assassination, David Levin Lewis, who is still with us, who wrote one of the early biographies, and so many others. We think of those governance formations, but those those narratives are not the narratives that make it into the social structure. So, as you say, that road, that path is narrow. Is narrow. Is according to the Christian Bible. And as the sample comes into public enemy, freedom is a road seldom traveled by the multitude. But in those moments of possibility, what is our obligation to then bring forth the ones and those they represent who are not only not known, but not known for a reason? There's a reason you pick an Amanda Gorman and not a Sonny Sanchez. You can handle Amanda Gorman. You can't handle Sonny Sanchez. So you're going to. It's like going to a fight and you punch the littlest person in there. <laughs> you ain't going to tangle with the big cat over in the court. So you're going to hit this person all of a sudden and we say, that's our hero. That's, I mean, it's a point of entry. And and not to disparage the young lady because it's in, not a disparaging at all. No question. Right. That's what I'm saying. Because, you know, people misconstrue that. But you're saying something right. right now. And it's something that we should even say because, you know, we all, I think people who are talented think they're great. You know, so so of course you're going to allow and, the and, and are great. They're great, no and, question. You know what I'm saying, and your 20-something-year-old self, you even have more of that hubris, you know, that will your hubris. Is it hubris? It is the age silent? I don't know, but y'all look it up and it's not my language. That's it. <laughs> That's it. You exactly. know, you're, you're not gonna reject the opportunities because you you, no. you know, and you're you're growing. But I I was I, I started off today be, for two reasons. First of all, to look back at my 20-something-year-old self to hear an experience that I actually lived through yes. with a colleague and then to have a different perspective on it now 30 plus years later because I have grown and evolved, but also to hear it through the lens of somebody who has done deep study as a journalist himself to write it in a book. And I'm like, this is fascinating. But also this space that we're in right now, I didn't know where you, I knew you were gonna be somewhere, but I didn't know exactly where. Dr. Carr doing his own thing in this time, ain't nothing, you know, we don't have a camera crew there or any of the things because you out in them streets doing what you do, which is yeah. tea. And, you know, there's a part of me is like, oh, we should have a lower third. We should have a camera crew. We should have better lighting. We should have better sound. But we're in community it's with coming. each other. And, and if, Or maybe. Yeah. What I'm saying what we're in right now can't really be defined by te technology. It's it's community in a way that I wish that I could have experienced. But I'm I'm happy to be in it now where you're taking us to places I've never been and may never go in Ohio. And I just want to just start off with my gratitude oh, and say thank you. So, thank you. Where are you? Where well, are you? Got the queen, you got this I, nice queen over your shoulders, some quotes. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Be be the queen. Be, be the queen. Okay, I could do be that. Be the queen you were born to be. <laughs> there it is right there. Yes. This is actually a new exhibit, which we're gonna go around in a minute and see a little bit of at the National Afro-American Museum and Cultural Center, which is literally on the campus of the Central State University here in Ohio and literally across the street from Wilberforce University, which of course the oldest private HBCU in the country, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. 
but that's what we are. Um, and we're here because for the first time in several years, the first time since COVID, we're resuming the Martin Delaney Symposium and Ritual, Gravesite Ritual, which will be going to Massey's Creek Cemetery in a moment. Uh, well, a little bit later this, this, this morning. Um, shout out to the guardians of this place, the institution builders, Gerald Barbie, who's the assistant director, who's made, this, made a way for us this morning. Mr. Greg Harris, this is his, we in his house, his building. He's the one that let me set up in the gallery here. Uh, I had to leave my coffee outside, but I'm going to go out there in a minute and take a sip when we go around <laughs> because no coffee allowed in the museum. Confines. And, and, and you're right, Prof. I mean, it's not you know, uh, the shiny production and the camera crew and the lower thirds. It is our continuing grounding in who we are to each other. Um, we've been seen since we were together last week, of course, with the transition of Anime Bullock from Brownsville, Nutbush, Western Tennessee, uh, the, the sister of the woman that the world knows and knew as Tina Turner. In the official legal separation with Ike Turner, she said, I don't want from him, but I do want my name. The name that he gave me, ironically, was it Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, I think, was on television back in the 60s, and uh, late 50s, early 60s, and he took the name Tina and said, okay, this going to be your stage name. And, you know, whatever happened between them, you know, she wrote her um, memoir, I, Tina, with Kurt Loder, and then a later book. And he wrote one called Taking Back My Name. I think we can all agree that the vast majority of us know nothing about it except we conflate Larry Fishburne and Angela Bassett with Ike and Tina Turner. And we'll talk about that in a minute because I'm bringing this up in the context of our African Studies framework and in the context of how you opened our, our time together this morning because it speaks to something that is a real challenge for us. How do we really grapple with ourselves? How do we interact with ourselves? You know, Monday night in office hours for all the folk who are in Nubia. And let me pause here and, and, and lift uh, Baba Adesoje. His mother made a transition uh, a little unexpectedly uh, a few days ago, so we lift him you know, in the barn with me. And uh, as we were talking, Sister uh, Letta came in from North Carolina, and she, in the context of talking about the responsibility we have for each other, and Prop, I heard you talking about Randall Robinson and the debt and the reckoning, and saying, look, if you haven't read the debt, then you probably want to do that before you start talking waxing eloquent on reparations and all these other things. And if you haven't read the reckoning for blacks owe each other, these two books from Randall Robinson, that would be a good place to start. But Sister let on. On uh, Monday night, last Monday night, in the office hours in Nubia, talked about this idea of interdependent healing. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later today at the Delaney Symposium, um, which will start around 10 Eastern Standard Time here, Eastern Time. But you know, what we owe to each other often gets obscured by those, these, this, this, this constantly encroaching, this constantly inserting itself, this constantly surrounding and penetrating social structure that we live in. 
in the world in general and in the United States in particular. And so when Tina Turner made transition, I, I, I sat with that, just like I sat with Jim Brown, just like I sat with any celebrity. Because when we start talking about representation, who we present as in the world, the first representation is in our families, in our communities, and the things that are closest to us. And beyond that, we began to move into social structures. And so the way you opened up today is very powerful because I'm in a place that I think it opened its doors in 1988, but the planning goes back over a decade before that. Uh, John Fleming, uh, who is an institution builder, museum, um, Titan brother, spent a lot of time in this, in this state of Ohio. Um, is the brother who guided this museum to its opening, uh, who also guided to opening the Underground Railroad Museum in Cincinnati. Uh, those of you who are members of or familiar with the, the consortium of black museum professionals know the name Dr. John Fleming, legendary figure. Um, this museum is the first one uh, in the country to name itself National Afro-American Museum. Culture Center. But all of our museums, in one way or the other, have been international and national museums. The latest one to come online, of course, names itself International in Charleston, South Carolina, as it prepares to open its doors. But the Charles Wright Museum, as we talked about in Detroit, the DuSabo Museum, which was once in the home of Margaret Burroughs and Charlie Burroughs there in Chicago, the DuSabo Museum, that's the name of the with Kim Delaney. In fact, she might be coming down. Chicago's not that far, Indianapolis, Cincinnati. A lot of people come in today for the Delaney Symposium. But these have been sites of memory for us, sites of reconstruction, but they, they are sites that really speak to who we are to each other, not who we are to, our, who we are to other people. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Afrofuturism exhibit again. This at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. I was down there Monday or Tuesday, I went down just to look again because I wanted to look again at how they frame Blake or the Huts of America written by Martin Robeson Delaney in 1857, 58, 56, 57. Then I actually ran into uh, Kevin Young, the director of the NAMAC, as they call it, the Black Zonian, as some people call it, which I think they think is clever, but I'm like, yeah, just really, really blackface in that white narrative, huh? But at any rate. Uh, and we're going to be in community with him at BlurredCom. Me, you. Excellent. Good yes. brother. Yeah, yeah. It was so funny because, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be in uh, disguise. I had my baseball cap on, my hoodie or whatever. He was walking, a, as a, as clearly a guest through as much of teenagers in there. So I just kind of put my hand on his back. My brother director, he said, hey, man, what's going on? I said, hey, good to see you, man. I said, a lot of young people here today. He said, yeah, yeah thanks for coming. I, I got out of the way before he could say, oh, that's, mm -hmm. no, I'm, I love going. I don't know. I ain't never in the whole time I've known the staffers and everybody since they opened, since before they opened. I ain't never asked nobody for no ticket. I ain't asked nobody for no VIP. No, I get up 830, go online, get me a same day ticket before they all sold out. And when I want to go to the museum, I go to the museum. I ain't telling nobody I'm coming down there because it'll mess it up. But I'm raising it for this reason. There are inflection points in a society where our representative figures have to represent us, not represent what other people want. And we're at another point here in the United States. This whole critical race theory debate and conversation, you know, you're punching the people in the face who uh, can respond, and the response will, responses will run the range 
Some of the responses will be truly representative of the conversations we have in our governance formations. Others will not, and it'll run the range in between. And typically the people who we will see the most will be the ones who have the least contact with us on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm in a place where this is us. This is us between two campuses that are us. Wilberforce was started by the African Methodist Episcopal Church. And if you go back into the archives of narrative, you will see the conversation we had when Jamie Coleman Williams made transition at over a century. And I'll put a footnote here and keep going about those who are centurions. Uh, uh, there's a, a, a person who many people, myself included, think is a war criminal, who is responsible directly or indirectly through his policies and policy advice over the arc of, what, half a dozen presidencies, I guess, or more, um, who turns 100 today. His name is Henry Kissinger. And that's the last thing we'll say about him. Uh, I, I, well, I'll say this. Check out Mehdi Hassan on MSNBC. He did a nice little birthday tribute to that guy. But another person who uh, lived to over 100, Jamie Coleman Williams, Jamie C. Williams, who was a graduate of Wilberforce right here across the street, who got her scholarship to Wilberforce as a 16-year-old from Reverend e. Ransom, who was buried in Massey's Creek Cemetery just beyond where Martin Delaney and Catherine Delaney and several of their children are buried, who I'll be visiting that grave today, too, with everyone here for the, for the ritual, along with the grave of Hallie Quinn Brown, the great elocutionist, whose book I think I put in my bag. Yes, y'all check this joint out. Here's a good one. Homespun heroines and other women of distinction. Hallie Quinn Brown, who was the librarian. Where? Here at Wilberforce. Yes. Who are we to each other? Let me see. I think I thought, oh, there she, there she go. There she go. <laughs> Hallie Quinn Brown. Homespun Heroines. This is about black women, compiled and edited by Hallie Quinn Brown. There she goes, Miss Hallie Quinn Brown. She, her, uh, she's buried in the Brown family plot right next to the Delaney's because she was friends with Martin Delaney's wife, Catherine Delaney, herself uh, a scholar, a student of history who lived uh, on this campus. So this is who we are to each other. And Jamie C. Williams talks about being present when the great Charles Wesley, the comrade of Carter Woodson, and at one time the president of Wilberforce University, when he was being forced out as president of Wilberforce University after Wilberforce's commencement, gives the commencement speech and announces that, yeah, I'm going to be moving next door. What's next door? We're going to start a school called Central State University. What the hell? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, 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 and Dr. Dr. Williams said, you know, she's all faculty at the time. And young young faculty members, she, her husband, McDonald Williams, uh, who were my teachers at Tennessee State. If y'all go back and look at the archive, I'm not going to repeat all this. You just go back to the archive and look. But I'll end this little moment, this little vignette, just because I'm in the space where their teachers are, where their teachers' remains are. Many of the faculty of Wilberforce and Central State buried in Mass Creek Cemetery, the presidents of Wilberforce buried in Massey's Creek Cemetery on the faculty of Wilberforce, Charles Young. Charles Young is buried in the, in, uh, in the, uh, the National Cemetery, the U.S. National Cemetery in Washington. And um, while he is buried on the former plantation in Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia, known as Arlington National Cemetery, his children, because 
they lived their young lives here in Wilberforce when he was on the faculty. His house, in fact, is across the street, National Park Service site, Charles Young's house. His children were here, and so they are buried here. The children of Charles, Colonel Charles Young. This is where the genealogy is. This is not the genealogy of critical race theory. This is not the genealogy of fighting for your humanity by begging your master to recognize you. This is institution builders. And this man right here, we're going to talk about him today. For the first time in several years since COVID, we'll be back for the Martin Luther King Symposium. And the first person that we always thank from the beginning of this ritual, which started in 1997, when they traveled from Chicago with the Kinetic Institute, Jane Carruthers, Harold Payton, Bay Carruthers, Yvonne Jones, Rosetta Karras, you name it, came down and have continued every other year. Um, I started coming, was that, I think I came the first year, was it 97? Yeah, because I was in Philly by then, yeah, and rode the bus. Left Philadelphia, riding the bus all the way here, reading Delaney all the time, all the while. Cyril Griffin, who was an HBCU faculty member, who wrote an excellent book on Martin Delaney called The African Dream. Dorothy Sterling, Victor Ullman. Uh, these are two more authors on Martin Delaney. And of course, the best place to start on Martin Delaney, we're not going to go through Delaney's life and work today because we've got one where we've talked about that as well. But I did bring my copy, one of my copies, one of my working copies, actually. This is an old ex-library book I picked up somewhere. Life and Public Services of Martin Delaney. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. Just very quickly, and I'll come back in. Frank, Frank Rowland, but here's the thing. Frank is not Frank. Frank is Francis. You know, these sexist people didn't want to assist the public, so she published Francis Rowland, published Martin Delaney's biography uh, near the end of his life. So that's where we are. Before we get into... Um why you're there i, I wanted mm -hmm. to know i don't think i've ever asked you what is it about martin delaney that resonates with you you know that like there's certain figures in history that we gravitate towards there's some that have been forced into our psyches by our history teachers and and society but martin delaney wasn't a household name uh at all i mean i didn't run into him until you introduced us to him and then we read Blake as a family in office hours. Yes, we did, and yes. We, you know, had uh, extensive discussions, but I'm always curious as, as a master teacher, like what was it about this figure that made you say, this is somebody I wanna do deep study on. This is somebody I wanna sit with every year. I wanna be in his spirit. I wanna come back to him. What was it? Probably let me ask you a question. Let me ask, let, let me ask you this. Um, When you've been in places, in any, in any area in which you practice, whether it be your work as a teacher, your work as a journalist, your work as a writer, your work as a communicator, as a bridge builder, when you've been in places with people who you respected, you learned from, you say, I value a great deal about you, whether it be what you know or how you move through the world, when you've been in spaces with people like that, and then you've seen other people come into the space that you didn't know, but the people that you valued so much turn to them and you say, why are they all talking to her? What's that? What, in, what feeling has that? Have you ever been in a space like that? Is it when, immediately when you said it, I'm like, we're in it right now. Yeah, a space where I'm like, I sat and I was like, oh, who's this? Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. What else can we do? 
okay, can you, you want to do this? All right. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't, and then everybody sees what I see. And I'm like, yes, okay. you know, right. yes, yes, you see it. Okay, good. I'm not crazy. But you, <laughs> right. Oh, there crazy. it is. Yeah. There it is. There it is. I'm not crazy. See, as African people, I believe that we have this yearning. We want to know. We know that this is jacked up. We know it's got to be something other than this. When we find things to confirm the fact that we're not crazy, we gravitate toward them. And then we have to fight the fear. Do I really? Because mm, this is not going to be. Because those places are places that are off the beaten path. It's like the nation of Islam. I, I would never be a member of the nation of Islam. It tickles me to no end to see people who, when they're in space and social structure, are talking, oh, Farrakhan, crazy, the nation of Islam, that's a secular. And then you go to the nation of Islam meeting or, or Farrakhan in town, and it's 10,000 people there, and you see them same Negroes. <laughs> it's like, what you doing here? But you scared of, and you told your master that these people are crazy, but you, you know. What, know. <laughs> you, know, you know what's wild about this? I just had this conversation yesterday with someone who is, you know, the, these uh, folk from Ohio, as a matter of fact, are coming to him to talk to him about buying his business. And they are like enamored with all of the very black things that he's doing. And I was like, every soul, the problem that this trick bag of race has done is that it put people in these boxes where they've been conditioned to see other people as other, not as themselves. And then they get into this community and they feel something that they've never felt before. Right. And then it's confusing. But do you want it more? Right. You yearn. You want to be around. You want to be up under it. You want or you hate it because you don't. You want it, and then you're mad at yourself. You know, it's, it, it makes you absolutely crazy, right? Because to not follow the thing that you're, you know, Clay Kane says, the way your blood is boiling. You know, to not right. follow, to not follow your spirit, your instincts, your energy, because society says something's wrong with it, or because you know you've been conditioned to believe that it's wrong, but you know you yearn it, is the definition of insanity to me. So we we have a, a world of people who would want to be in community with something, but they, they get it through the music, you know, but that ain't the thing. Uh -oh. the music ain't the thing. You get it through the music, but that ain't the thing. You don't get it. You don't get it. You feel no, like you don't get it. it through the art, but you don't really get it. You don't really get, don't it. get it. No, you the don't language, get it. The culture, the spices, the, but it, it's That's the, right. it, it's the everything, right? That's so, right. so here we are. Here we are. It's okay. It's all right. Y'all let it, let it go. It, it, it's all, it's let it go. It's all right. Right. Don't be scared. Because the trick is, we could move this whole world we want. That's what Martin Delaney represents to me. And I won't come back to Delaney, but I, I want to stay with this for a second, Prof, because you raised something. Again, this is the thing that you know. You were born with it. If you were fortunate enough, you were born into communities. Again, interdependent healing. What Sister Alita said on Monday night in office hours, you, you, you found some nurture in it. There was an article in yesterday's New York Times. Singer inspired Australia's unofficial national dance. Now look at these white people up here. This look like they dance. They took a photograph of uh, uh, Elaine on Seinfeld doing that dance where she kick her leg out. And this <laughs> but watch this. Watch this. As news of the death of Tina Turner. It, Wait, what? What the hell? What the headline say? <laughs> Australia, what? Singer, singer inspired Australia's unofficial national dance. Wow. Social structure, y'all. Let's take 30 seconds here. As news of the death of Tina Turner hit Australia's shores, people all over the country stopped what they were doing and started to dance. 
school students, gym rats, TikTokers, and even the staff at the United States Embassy pay tribute with a series of steps and kicks that looked like a cross between line dancing and the Macarena set to one of Ms. Turner's songs. Which one do you think it was, Pra? Uh, Proud Mary? I don't know. I have no idea what the, what was. Yeah, because uh, all that music that she made once she became the object of white male fascination in the late 1970s is not dance music. All that music that was anchored in spectacle, which she then used with her brilliance to catapult herself to global fame, was not dance music. All that music that was anchored in the fantasies of white men, I'm your private dancer. Do what you want me to do. All that stuff that was anchored in kind of phallocentric notions of, uh, of women, what some people might call feminism, we don't need another hero from Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. In fact, the thing that separated out from the pathological structures of blackness that are usually framed as the only thing black people have to give. Uh, I don't really want to fight no more. We don't, none of us want to fight no more. All the things that people kind of repeat now in the wake of the, of the passing of Tina Turner, without stopping to think that while people talk about her her power, people talk about her presence, people talk about her generosity, even in the, the place in Switzerland where she lived for, for many years and eventually became a citizen. They talk about how generous she was, how regular she was, all of those things. And then they slip in the, and her legs were still kicking when she was 70. See, if Mick Jagger had touched my mama's legs, I'd have beat the shit out of him. My point is that all the things that we talk about now, without thinking and stopping to think, what are we saying? In Australia, they have an informal national dance that's passed down from parents to children, from teachers to students, passed down from elders to juniors. And they dance to, you were close. Because see, you named a song that was the transition song from governance to social structure. And that was the re-recording, of course, of Clarence Creedwater Revival's Proud Mary by the Ike and Tina Turner Review. That was the bridge which retained the cultural meaning making of Africana but opened it up in, into a broader thing. And then of course when the murderer, convicted murderer, Specter, sent for the Ike and Tina Turner Review and said, I want to record you all. And Tina Turner first went to England where she said, of course, for the rest of her life, I'm bigger, as big as England as the Rolling Stones or Madonna. The one thing Spectre, a convicted murderer, by the way, the one thing Spectre said couldn't come in the studio with the Ike and Tina Turner review was Ike Turner. The, before that, do you remember any of the songs from the Ike and Tina Turner review, Professor Andrew? I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Church house, I gin house. Bump, bump, bump. Schoolhouse outhouse highway number 19. The people get the city clean. Ah, they call it nut bush. Oh, they call it nut bush. Now, where was Tina Turner from? Oh, they call it nut bush city limit. That little three minute song. 
that Tina Turner wrote with Ike about where she was from. Not Tina Turner, Anna Bullock was from the governance. That the lyrics of that song, 25 was the speed limit, motorcycle not allowed in it. You go to the store on Friday, you go to the church on Sunday. They call it Nutbush. Nutbush. Nutbush City Limit. Singer inspired Australia's unofficial. Do you think these people know anything about black life in the rural South? Wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. Nutbush City is their official. That's the song that they do their official dance to? That sentence I read, school students, gym rats, TikTokers, and even the staff at the United States Embassy paid tribute with a series of steps and kicks that looked like a cross between line dancing and the Macarena set to one of Miss Turner's songs, Nutbush City Limits. Oh my God. Who are we to other people? Who are we to each other? All these tributes to Tina Turner, and I don't see nothing talking about who we are to each other. We're going to talk about domestic violence. Then let's talk about that. How the hell does that go on? And I don't know if any of you all like me have been around. Not, I ain't never put my hands on another human being, and I hope never to. I don't know if anybody else has been around. We had to break up a fight between two people, and one pe one person's happened to be female, and the other happened to be male. Now, I know a lot of people think they know about these things from watching a movie, which is a sad commentary on our stolen focus. But when you read what she said, read what he said, read what other people who were in the room, her sisters and all these other people said, can you imagine, Professor Hunter, come back from me. I just want to ask you a real quick question because I know that we all run the range value. I did something. I'm sure we both know people who would just get slapped and sit there. But I don't know about people in my family, women in my family. But I'm saying, I don't know too many sisters in my family who would let somebody beat on a man stand there and take the ass with them. I, I'm just saying, from everything I've read and heard about this thing, Ike Turner should have been under the jail. <laughs> somebody should have handled that a long time ago. But if you think Tina Turner just sitting there, <laughs> you, you know, watch the raw movie. What the hell's wrong with y'all? Why do you let these people who make this stuff, and then they don't, they don't the Little Mermaid people, and they don't remade the color purple for the 15th million time. Look, why do you think they keep telling the same stories? Why do you think, and, and what do you think those stories, look, I'm out here with Martin Delaney and I'm surrounded by sisters. We're gonna walk around here and I'm gonna show you these sisters from Ohio. And I'm gonna say to y'all right now, it's complicated. We gotta have a conversation. But one thing we ain't never gonna do, at least not in this little corner of the world, is invite this social structure in to dictate the terms of how we talk about what we need to do. And that's, you know, if y'all wanna do that, go with God, go with him. But you stay the hell away from me. Because then when you ask, why are we in this situation? You need to look in the mirror. You look into your open enemy to frame your narrative and lost your damn mind. That's why you got people in Australia where they wiped out the aboriginals, kicking their legs out to Tina Turner's song about where she from. You ain't need me for that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm no, come on back. No, no, seriously, because I think with the, because I think, well, I don't want people to mistake this, bro. I don't want people to mistake what we need to do with how we need to do it. We got to have some serious conversations about deep problems we have in our communities. Can we have those conversations without having a deep conversation about who we are to each other? This is what Delaney was after. Let me, let me just say this. Um, I didn't have language for it until you brought the Africana framework into, into our lives. I didn't have language for it. But always we, we always knew there was an inside and outside. 
you know, we always knew that the things you talk about in the house and then the things you talk about outside of the house. But we always had yeah. also elders. We also had elders that framed what could be talked about inside of what should never be talked about outside, right? But we also didn't talk about the things we really needed to talk about, the domestic no, violence, we didn't. the sexual and that's the problem. The, the, yes. the trauma, the yes. people that live over the kitchen that needs to be probably getting some help somewhere and all the rest of us need to be in therapy. We didn't talk about that at all. We were silent. We went to our cookouts and our holiday meals and we were silent and we suffered in silence and we just pushed through. And now right. we're in a space where we talk about everything and know nothing. So there's there's this flip and we talk about outside stuff. We wear out inside clothes outside. We can have that conversation about- <laughs> you, you, When you talk about them street lights, that's the first thing I thought about. That you come here with them outside clothes and get in the bed or sit on this, you take them clothes. Exactly. Mm, come on, teach, you better teach so, this. <laughs> so yeah, we lost something. We lost elders and we lost that, that way of knowing that passed yes. down. And we lost yes. it for 400 years. So there's even deeper understandings of ourselves that we don't have, which is why this space is so important, which is why I keep parrot saying this, come with a whole brick, meaning do some of the work. You know, I don't expect people to come perfect, but oh some, of the trauma, some of the trauma can't come in here because no. we can't spend time navigating your trauma while we're trying to build back our memory and our and our sense of self we can't that's take right. the time that's energy expended do that work please go get counseling help talk with yourself whatever you need to do but come in with a whole brick because we're here to build and the building is reclaiming all of the things that we're talking about so and 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 that's adding right. to right. because we haven't done the work right so to your point right. yeah I mean, this it's, right. it's a tough thing in a, and as i get older and more mature right? Because it's not just about age, right? As I get no. more mature, I realize that there are things I didn't know to even be able to articulate the things I didn't know, right? Yeah. Knowing more. And so so we are, we're having these superficial conversations with no depth, which is why this space is so sacred to me, which is why I will fight you if you come in with some, you you know, I may be quiet for a minute, but I'm going to come and gather <laughs> and snatch all of the edges and then put you out, right? Because you out. what you're no not going to do is disrupt this because we don't have this anyplace else. So no. we're going to have a conversation. You're not going to jump in. And which is why we're not on YouTube every day because y'all don't do the damn work. The people who have come yeah. here into Nubia are actually engaged in a way. And we, I'm not saying everyone here is perfect, but there's a commitment yeah. to this thing, right? Whereas right. YouTube, well, I'm conditioned to just have a comment and, and to have opinions. <laughs> no, no, this is this is not there. Yeah, we, we're going to talk about Ice Cube or whatever we're going to talk about. Please come in, not with your knee jerk, no tangibles, no vote, and these slogans. This is so much deeper, and our That's literal right. futures are at stake if we don't. That's get right. This, if we don't. That's do right. This. That's right. So. That's right. And, well, and, no, that's, and that's and that's the distinction. You've made the distinction. I mean, it, 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 there's always a balance and attention for me. For example, we know Frederick Douglass's name, but we don't know Martin Delaney's name as well, even though the two of them were linked inextricably for decades. And that's because Martin Delaney is not introduced. In fact, they're still spelling his name wrong in most of the books. They spell it with an E. D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. Uh, -E no, there's no E at the end. And anytime, I mean, I'm talking about, I'm like, look, did I bring up? No, I left that book open. <laughs> um, I mean, this book just came out and it's being, it's being promoted by all these people. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking through the index and I'm reading and I go through the, and I see the D's, I see Delaney, D-E-L-A-N-E-Y. 
Okay. Now, all the people, half of whom I know, who are well-known in academia, talking about this is brilliant, and this and that, and that. Mm-hmm. You got a copy editor? When I see Martin Delaney name spelled wrong, that's when I know somebody bullies me. <laughs> so, because you don't know. And then, and then I look in to see what you say about him, and you've narrowed him. And we're going to talk more about that. But I do want to, before I go, because um, I, I mentioned the Color Purple movie coming out. Will I go see it? I mean, at some point, I suppose. I didn't go see the musical. Man. But I'm going to tell you, some of it is age. Some of it is age. And if we're not fortunate enough to be in a space where those who have more experience and have studied more and seen more things can kind of guide us and help us to think critically and think, develop our thinking, we might have our development forestalled, which is another reason why, as you say, in this, in the Nubia space, it's a very different space. This is a very intentional kind of thing. In a YouTube space or other you know, broader facing spaces, to me, that's an invitation to think because that's the balance. That's the challenge of the balance. And whether it be Martin Delaney constantly in conversation with Frederick uh, Douglass up to and through, they were together in Washington, D.C. for the 20th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation. So this was 1883, shortly before Delaney made the transition. And these brothers had gathered. Douglass had had a series of federal appointments, recorded deeds in D.C., Minister to Haiti, uh, President of Freedmen's Bank, but they kept setting him up for failure because he's, this y'all hero, right? So we're going to put him over to Freedmen's Bank after we've looted it. This y'all hero, right? We're going to make him the minister to Haiti, but we're going to tell the Haitians, negotiate with the white man on the Navy ship in the Bay. Don't talk to Douglas, but we got his face out there. Every last one of you Negroes who is a face Negro, who ain't got no power, you should be thinking about this. You have ancestors like Freddie Douglas in those moments. But Delaney is constantly in this conversation with Douglas saying, nah, we gotta do something different. We gotta do something different. Our people need something different. We need everybody in political power in South Carolina, not just two or three Negroes they pick. He's on, and he makes a lot of mistakes. We're gonna talk about that later on today. Well, I won't, I won't even call them mistakes. His interests are always our interests. He's in the room for us. And so when they had his convening 20th anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation, 1883 there in Washington, D.C., all these brothers up toasting the Emancipation Proclamation, toasting the struggles, toasting progress. This 1883, the civil rights cases getting ready to drop. This is 1883, just before, as the redemption continues, the white nationalists are clawing back the South and black people getting betrayed. So Delaney gets up and he raises a toast to Liberia. I thought I told you, Negroes. Now, yeah, I became the first commission major in the United States Army. I recruited for the 104th Colored Troops. I was an officer in the Freedmen's Bureau in South Carolina, helping black people fighting to get their land. I did all that. I stayed in South Carolina and ran for office. Then when I didn't like what the Republicans were doing, the radical Republicans, I formed the Independent Republican Party. And then I even went so far as to endorse a racist Democrat, Wade Hampton, because he said he was going to do stuff for black people. And then they appointed three black people on the slate for the Democrats. And then I couldn't even go out and speak. The lady went somewhere to speak and the black men got up and walked out and the sisters stayed debooing. And it was like, what the hell? I'm working for the people. Okay, brother, that maybe you shouldn't have done, but you can never question his motives. His motives are always trying to be for the people. He toasts Liberia to make a point. Y'all not gonna run me off from the United States because our people to the tune of four plus millions are here. But this country has never, and don't look like it ever, is gonna give us the full legal humanity that we must have to be full people in the world and make no mistake about it. I'm not trying to be white. 
He said, I'm a full-blooded African. He would call himself that. In fact, Fred Douglas said of his friend Delaney, he said, Mark Delaney stands so straight on this, it's almost like he leaning backward. <laughs> Fred Douglas said, every morning I get up and thank God he made me a man. Every, Doug, every day Delaney gets up and thanks God he made him a black man. This is a man that spent almost a year in Africa with his friend Robert Campbell from Jamaica negotiating with continental Africans and wrote, writes a whole report on it. The report of the Niger Valley Exp Expedition Commi uh, Committee uh, Expedition. And he talks about how they meet in what is now Nigeria with the Alaki, the king of, of Abiokuta, and they negotiate a deal for Africans in the diaspora to come to Africa and live and work and stay and govern themselves in formations and doing all this. Then the Civil War jumps off. And then the British and the French come in and put heat on this brother, the Alaki. And he says, you know, he, he rescinds the treaty, but by then the Civil War has jumped off. So Delaney's on both sides of this. He's a complex figure. The reason we don't know him is because he's too damn complicated for white people to corrupt. And he doesn't live his life begging for his humanity. If you took Martin Delaney and Frederick Douglass and said, one of them got to go and you can't learn about them no more, it's going to be Frederick Douglass all day long. If you know about Martin and Catherine Delaney, if you know about that. But of course, it isn't take one. You got to have all of them. The reason you don't know Delaney is very deliberate. There's a very deliberate reason you don't know. But when you're young and you don't have somebody introduce you to somebody like Martin Delaney, then you could go your whole life and not know about the 1840s and 1850s in the African world, including the United States of America. You might think that something is happening now is completely new. Ain't none of it new. It's a new gloss on an old rhythm. And if we don't have the momentum of memory, we will not know how to fight what we see right now. This punk DeSantis is a joke. We've seen him before. We've seen Marjorie Taylor Greene before. In fact, how long is it going to be before they start throwing hands in the federal legislature? You don't put a full-ass target on Jamal Bowman's back by talking smack. Let's go back to the 1840s and 50s when there wasn't no black people in the federal legislature and Charles Sumner damn near got killed with a cane. Why? We know what happens next. You took the metal detectors down. They ain't caning people no more. Now you bring in the strap, you and Lauren Bowman. You think we ain't seen y'all before? And, and guess what? This is what happens next. Don't have any satisfaction after it happens and you write a academic tome about it or get interviewed for a documentary and reflect on it or three short years after George Floyd lost his life you have a conference like they did uh, two couple of days ago in Minneapolis at the damn not Home Depot uh, was it Home Depot headquarters up there Best Buy Best Buy headquarters on uh, the George Floyd murder and all this. And one of the words I saw affiliated with it was celebration. What the hell are you doing? Rise, let's rise and remember. Rise and remember this happened yesterday. And do you remember three summers ago when we started our work in this space? Thanks to you. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember when you thought that we was getting ready to tear up the whole world and you threw the statues in the street and you said, here go five dollars and here, you two Negroes will give you DEI jobs. Wait, 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 everybody calm down. Just wait, six months. Okay, a year, two years, uh, three years. Uh, all right, you're fired. No more money for you. And uh, what? What are you talking about? Oh, we're going to pay ourselves and have a celebration and we'll remember, we'll reflect. No, see, this is when you don't have a momentum memory like we haven't seen this before. So when you're young and you don't have somebody to bring you into this space, to make you push, your, push you to think, whatever you do with it after that, you don't have the momentum of memory. I was young. I remember. When I was at Tennessee State, Dr. Williams, Jamie C. Williams, who I've been talking about, was here before us. When she was at Tennessee State, 
in the Department of Communications, where she was the chair of that department. I was a student there. She, uh, one of her faculty members, Lawrence James, he was my advisor, theater. And I wrote my honors thesis. I was in the honors program. Her husband, Donald Williams, who was also in this faculty that were before so many years, before they came to Nashville to spend decades at Tennessee State training us. Uh, in Dr. Williams' program, I wrote my master's thesis, uh, my, my master's thesis, I wrote my honors undergraduate thesis on protest novels. Baldwin Wright, I mean, Wright's not technically a protest novel. I was 21 years old. What did I know? But I read The Color Purple. If you remember, The Color Purple came out around that time. 1986-1987 and when I watched the movie I had read the novel I had read Alice Walker's novel because I was writing my thesis and I saw what Spielberg and them left in and left out what they edited out what they glossed but I wrote my thesis on the way that Alice Walker puts her fingers in, Toni Morrison does this very similar, in black community and begins to draw out the things that are strong and the things that are not, begins to draw out the cultural meaning making, I would call it now, the governance formations, the deep flaws in them, the things that are strengths. And what I said is this novel really speaks to, among other things, not just gender, but class tensions in our community. I'm 21 years old. I turned that thing in. They was like, okay, just do it. Okay, no grammar mistakes. But I could have used somebody to say, this is interesting. Because you didn't come at it the way that these social structure folk come at it immediately looking for gender. I did not see in that novel this white view of community relations that people gloss it on. I, I, I didn't put that on Alice Walker. I said, no, I see something else at work, and I'm much more interested in who this is, how this deals with us. I don't want to hear nobody who has had a long history of messing up, namely Europeans. Martin Delaney writes about being in Africa, being in West Africa, what is now Nigeria, and he, and, and mind you, Martin Delaney was trained as a physician. Yeah, that's right. Born in uh, 1812 in what is now West Virginia, Charlestown, West Virginia, his mother, Patty, was a, a, a free person of African descent. Her, his father was enslaved, had to buy his way out of enslavement. Mother made sure all her children could read and write. A white man tricked them one time into showing him that they could read and write. At that point, Patty moves them all to Chambersburg, and then he walks, Delaney walks like 150 miles to Pittsburgh as a, as a teenager and begins to apprentice as a physician. Martin Delaney ended up at Harvard Medical School. And when he showed up, the white students went to the dean of the medical school, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr., the father of the Supreme Court Justice, and said, look, it's not a problem that Delaney is here. It's only one thing you got to choose, Dean. Either Delaney goes or we go, because we ain't going to school with no N-word. So they put Delaney out. But Delaney, as he's writing about being in Africa, he's also writing medical treatises. Remember when we read Blake, we went through, Delaney has all this broad knowledge. He's talking about how, you know, here are the foods you should eat when you're in West Africa. Here's where you should wake up and rise in the morning where the air is fresh and it's kind of thing. He says, he talks about bathing. He says, they bathe every day here. They, you're full ablution. He says, you know, when you go to sleep, don't go to sleep in dirty clothes, clean clothes. You should wear some thin, something thin like a muslin or something close to your skin because as you sweat, it will cool. 
all this, he's telling all this, and then he talks about, he says, here the word slave is not known as it is known in the white world. He says, if someone is unfree here, it is because they are captive or a prisoner of war. And he says, these are some problems that are going on here that I see. He said, there are some in this society, like many other societies, who are doing this for greed and profit. And he names the homie. Those of you who seen The Woman King, you watch The Woman King and don't read Martin Delaney talking about he was literally there when the events of the period that we see in this movie, The Woman King, is taking place. Read Delaney. Delaney is saying that. Hey, Bob. And so in that process, what we're seeing is Delaney talking about the fact, but for the vast majority of people, he's saying that is not their experience. He says those who you call slaves, they are not in fact slaves. They are related to the, they bring, they're building the drum, they're getting ready to start, I think, in a few minutes. But, uh, yeah, y'all can hear me. You must be hitting the drum. So. At any rate, I'm gonna walk around a little bit and then we'll we'll, we'll, we'll wrap for a little bit and kind of keep this tight today. But I'm raising all that to say that when we're not in community, when you're exposed to something, you have to find it on your own. It took me years to come back to Martin Delaney and Martin Delaney, because um, I wrote about him in my senior thesis as well, but only in passing. I did not know Delaney. I encountered Delaney after I was a grown man. When I went to law school, the summer of 1987, as I've told y'all before, Brother Yusuf and the Line books in Nashville, I came back that summer home uh, for a couple of weeks before I went back to Columbus, Ohio, up the street from here, the clerk at a law firm, and I bought Manny Marable's How uh, Capitalism Undeveloped Black America and Malefia Sante's Afrocentricity, and I read those, and I started thinking differently. And then I was fortunate enough, a couple of years later, uh, under the tutelage of Mariba Kelsey in the African Center for Study and Worship, to encounter Jacob Carruthers. And when I read Jacob Carruthers, that's when I said, this is who I've been looking for. This is what I've been looking for. Martin Delaney, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, wrote a book right here, between South Carolina and here, called The Origin of Races and Color. He literally rewrites the history of humanity. And he starts in Kemet. He's actually teaching himself hieroglyphs. Dr. Beatty, Mario wrote a whole paper on Delaney and hieroglyphs. And he's, and he's trying to speculate as to what these hieroglyphs are. He's talking about the, the, ra, the, the symbol for the sun. They just now, they've been deciphering hieroglyphs for about maybe 50 years when he's writing this. But when he starts, he, he starts this, and I'm going to talk about this too in a few minutes when I give my remarks on Delaney. He's got a philosophy history who says there's only one race, the human race. He says, I get rid of this whole notion that people were developed different places. Remember, this guy trained as a physician. So then he goes through the science. And he says, but I believe the Bible. Oh, how do you believe the Bible and science? Delaney brilliantly at the beginning of the book says, oh, I'm not, he doesn't say, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He says, okay, Adam and Eve, then their children. But then you say, why do these cities come from? And do he have other children? He must have. So well, they got different peoples. He says, I, basically what he's saying is, I'm not going to read this as a chronology. I'm going to read it as a periodization. There's a period of this and a period of this, and then you got the, the, the temple, Babel. He says, what happened with Babel? Well, Babel is, you know, you can't have, you know, God wanted people to go all around the earth. So therefore, uh, if everybody speaks the same language, do the same thing, they're gonna stay together. So that confusion made people disperse. And he gets into the whole notion that you can change society by several ways. One's revolution. Uh, you can have a violent revolution or a moral revolution. Moral revolution is hard are always preferable. Martin Delaney's saying this in 1880s. He's saying in 1878 in South Carolina, 
He's saying this, in other words, three quarters of a century almost before Martin Luther King. He's, then he says, you know, you could have uh, immigration with an E. People just have dispute, you leave. He said the Bible is like immigration. He forced them out. He's basically reading the Bible as a metaphor. And then he says, you can read the Bible and read Charles Darwin, and the two things don't have to be together. You can read, who is that? You see, see, these are people I see in a minute. No question. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> see, I tell you, look, this is the thing. This is what we're doing. We're here. We're coming. So anyway, Delaney is saying, whatever your way of knowing is, I got something for you. In a little thin volume. This is not even 100 pages. The Origin of Racism Color. Now, People say that was dated. Yeah, because he's working in the 1870s. What the hell was y'all doing? But this society wants us to focus on uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. In fact, there's a brand new book that just came out. I'm going to talk about this today, too. This is uh, our brother Sandy Darity again, Kirsten Mullen and Lucas Hubbard. They working hard, y'all. Reparations. Narrow is the path, as you say. Freedom is the road seldom traveled by the multitude, you say. This is something Black people have been fighting for for centuries. Now, because of the summer of the record, of 2020 and all this other stuff going on, it looks like there's been progress made. We're at a moment of inflection. So guess what? People jumping out now say, I've been working on this stuff for years. Yeah, but I ain't never seen you in none of the meetings. I ain't never seen you in none of the rallies. I ain't never seen you in none of the phenomena. Oh, but you've been writing academic papers. That's good. That's important. But this whole notion, this black nativist argument that oh, the descendants of those who were enslaved in the United States are the only ones who get reparations. I respect Professor Derry. He's a brilliant scholar. But this book is so deeply flawed. This just came out. I mean, it just came out like a couple of weeks. The Black Reparations Project. This is by, of course, Howard University Press. No, no, Fisk University Press. No, 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 no. Atlanta University Central Press. No, the University of California Press. This book is damn near worthless in terms of its analysis. And I'm saying that, not having read it all, I read through the chapters I wanted to see first, the major summary chapters, and then I kind of skimmed the others, and I just got this a couple of days ago, but I'm going to continue to read it. I'm looking for something I haven't found here yet, which is a grounding in who we are to each other. See, the first step in reparations, the first, and I'm going to talk about this too when we, when we start in a few minutes. The first step of reparations is, is repair. This is very important. Interdependent healing. Interdependent healing is what a letter call it. We have to focus on ourselves. You see something like Tina Turner? That healing, the, the, the things that I find very poignant about Tina Turner, looking through a governance lens, who is she to us? There are a lot of people who are critiquing her and say oh, she ran out with the white men. Well, hell, Mike Turner was married to a white woman. A lot of people married to a white man. Let's not start doing that. But I'm saying, no, 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 listen to her. She gave up her U.S. passport in recent years. She had to learn German to become a Swiss uh, uh, citizen, and she did well enough to get to, to get their passport. She said it was difficult, but I learned it. And she talks about the fact that I'm more popular in Europe than in America. And she gave up the U.S. passport. I was treated better over here. My my boyfriend was here. Now my husband. Okay, go with God. That's a beautiful thing. In that is a critique. In that is a critique. But that's a social structure question. But in the governance formation, I'm listening. I'm seeing what Dion Warwick said. What's Patty LaBelle saying? Aretha's gone. Where's Shaka Khan on this? No, see, when you see Tina Turner, I'm not looking at her 
in, in comparison to Madonna. Who the hell is Madonna? I'm not looking at, I'm looking at her in terms of cultural meaning making, in terms of those who cultural meaning made in her era. Patti LaBelle, Aretha Franklin a little bit before, Gladys Knight, Jaka Khan slightly after. You know, and then if you think about her in that context, you say, hmm. here come, here come uh, Mick Jagger and them. This, this vampire. They already tried to suck the blood of, uh, uh, of James Brown making movies and documentaries. His, his boy Keith Richards tried to suck the blood of Chuck Berry. There's a new book on Chuck Berry that's out, by the way. I love that story when Keith Richards picked up Chuck Berry's uh, guitar and started to play it, and Chuck Berry punched him in the face. Oh, can anybody tell you, you touch my guitar? In other words, <laughs> Come on, Mike, go find you another 13 year old or 23 year old or whatever you do. I mean, stay out of my guitar case, boy. <laughs> it's all fun and games till you touch my guitar. Anyway, but I'm not looking at what their opinion is. I want to see what these sisters, and in terms of governance, I want to see what her blood sisters have to say. Because I'm not looking at a movie for that. I want to know. I want to know what Tina said. I want to see what her sister said. Why? Because I'm trying to ground myself in who we are to each other. That's what Delaney was doing when he went to Africa. That's what Delaney did when he was studying in ancient Africa. This is what Delaney did even as he's fighting in the Civil War. He's saying, I'm fighting here because my people are at risk. But how do they narrate Martin Delaney? When you do hear about him, you see him in his military uniform. He gave a speech in Xenia right down right on the street here in his full military dress. And the white reporter came and said, this is amazing. This building is very well built. Now he's black in here. And Delaney's got his uniform on. He's talking about what we must do for ourselves. And yeah. First of all, Delaney said, you white, I don't care. The rights should belong to everyone. That's what he was saying in South Carolina. White people and black people. Everybody should have the same rights. He said, but I'm going to have my rights. And he said, I'm not changing one inch on who I am. He said, I'm sitting in here. You were in the Confederacy. People have been delaying. What the hell's wrong with you? He was a Confederate. Mm -hmm. And he said, he's going to do this, this, and this. You believe him? I don't know. If he, if he lies about it, we'll move him out. Really? Well, you, you know, you're Uncle Tom. Mm -mm. First of all, he did not like Uncle Tom's cabin. There's a whole series of letters between him and Freddie Douglas where he tells Freddie Douglas, y'all go back to the narrative. We talked about this. I'm not going to talk about it again. But he didn't like Harry Beecher Stowe because he was like, Harry Beecher Stowe, is she really for us? Plus, she ain't paid Josiah Henson. And he's, he lived that life. But anyway. He said, yeah, he confederate. He was a confederate, but now he's running for office in South Carolina and I'm sitting here next to him and I am an African. He called himself an African. People say, oh, y'all call yourself African. We ain't no African. Okay, go back and talk to Martin Delaney in the 1830s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Stop playing. Because when you open your mouth, you put your brain on display. Martin Delaney was very clear. He said, if I can sit here and I don't move an inch, we want all of our rights, every last one of them. If you say that you're going to help me on this and I say you get the rights that we have, no problem. I don't want your culture. I don't want you at my house. In fact, when they passed the Fugitive Slave Act, Martin Delaney famously talked about the fact, he said, if you come to my house looking for a slave, this is one of my favorite quotes. Larry always quotes this. And I won't quote it verbatim. I'm just going to say it very quickly. The gloss of it is, he gave that talk in Pennsylvania. He, when they passed the Fugitive Slave Act, which lets you go anywhere in the world and kidnap black people, in the United States, 12 years a slave. That's what happened, right? Saw the Northwood. Delaney said, if you come to my house looking for a slave, if you the sheriff, you the constable, you the police, he said, if you the Supreme Court of the United States, he said, if you the president of the United States with the cabinet and the constitution pinned to your chest, if you come in this house looking for a slave and I do not lay you lifeless at my feet, may the ground open up and receive my body because you can't come in this house looking for a slave and both of us live. This is what Martin Delaney said. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can't teach that. 
Yeah, pop. Except you can teach it. This is where I'm going with this. Thank goodness in office hours when um, Corinna came in from Florida and Brother Ed from Gwinnett County in CP in Georgia. And we had that conversation on Monday night. Those of you not in Nubia, I'm um, just getting you a little brief of this about this NAACP travel ban. Here's the problem. When you read the travel ban, they talk about, oh, you know, don't go, they're not gonna do this. Or if you're going, you know, be vigilant, you know, connect. Okay, but let's be clear. Let's be very clear about this. If you wanna teach Martin Delaney in Florida, you ain't gotta do it in the school. Why are you fighting in the school to get rid of these foolish laws? Why are you going to the courts to challenge those laws? Ain't nobody stopping you from doing what Mama Olabisi did, Larry's partner. Mama Olabisi ran a school, he founded and ran a school for decades in Florida. And they taught this stuff. And then she took those children to the public school and they performed little vignettes. They gave speeches. They did it. We just passed African Liberation Day on the 25th of May. She was telling me last night when we were coming in to the city, she was saying, you know, we would have them do Kwame Nkrumah's independence speech. And the effect that would have on the children who are in the schools where they don't get that from the children who didn't wait on government to talk about two kind of book bans, y'all. And I'm going to tell you the one that terrifies me, the one I know is in place. It ain't the Andrew DeSantis book ban. Because if I want a copy of The Hill I Climb, I can buy another one. I got one. And I, can buy another one. You can read that poem. Ain't nobody stopping you. You know the book ban that terrifies me, bro? It's the shadow book ban. What's the shadow book ban? What good is a book if you didn't read it? <laughs> These people talking about book bans. <laughs> These people talking about book bans. When the last time you read a book cover to cover and you talking about worried about a book ban? Really? I, you, you don't want me to come into your school, go into your library, pick off the, off the shelf a copy of Beloved, blowing it and the dust come up. Don't you dare talk about banning books alone. Talk about the shadow ban. See, we're going to have a conversation. Let's talk about the shadow ban. The shadow ban is you not reading. I know that for a fact because I'm a teacher. So anyway, um, the, the, the whole idea that I just, you know, you asked me a question and it kind of got, got into that. But when I came out here, when I read about Martin Delaney, because Jacob Carruthers was saying Martin Delaney, Jacob Carruthers was saying uh, uh, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, Henri Christophe, uh, he was talking about uh, Antonier Furman, Asa Hilliard, talking about these guys. And then I said, oh, that's what I've been looking for. I didn't know what it was literally, but I knew the feeling. I knew that my mama and my daddy and my community, with all the challenges we had, I knew that at the heart of that, there was something that kept us going for generations, generations. This is what they miss in this book on reparations so far, Sandy and them. What you missing? You keep talking about what is old. You keep talking about, yeah, but the first thing is interdependent healing, which means what kept you going all that time? They talk about uh, education. There's a chapter here on education. I read that chapter, and I'm hoping that this isn't going to go in the ditch, but it started in the ditch. Why? Because you immediately go into segregation. and uh, Those segregated schools were not perfect, and there should be no law that stops anybody from going where they want to go to school. But there's not a line in that chapter that talks about all the black teachers that lost their jobs in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, the destruction of black teachers. And then you talk about black student performance and saying, see, segregation is bad for black student performance. Look here, man. See, you're embarrassing yourself now. You did not talk about the fact that what these white people did was siphon off a few Negroes they wanted, 
including all the fast running Negroes, Tommy Tuberville, anybody who try to sign a grant name, go to Auburn University and play sports. I don't care what color you are and don't make Auburn condemn Tommy Tuberville, that illiterate fool in the United States Senate for what he said about how, they, oh, how these teachers got their degrees. Yeah, who were your teachers? That's who I want to see. But guess what? You signing to play for Auburn and you ain't tell them to condemn him? You need your head examined. But the point is this. You talking about all these effects of segregation and then saying integration is the answer, but they didn't integrate the teachers. They took the blacks they wanted, the 4.0s and the fast Negroes, kept the other ones segregated and decimated the teaching core and then gave them the test. And you're looking at test scores, test scores, plummeted, blah, blah, blah. You one of them fools who must not have had no black teachers. You can't trust nothing they say. And yeah, I said it. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little fired up because I'm out here in the center of this blackness and I'm about to go see Martin Delaney and Catherine Delaney and their children who uh, I should mention. In fact, let me just name, let me just name the graves of, uh, let me see if I can find it quickly in Hallie Quinn Brown's book. Here we go. Catherine Delaney, 1822 to 1894. Here are the seven children of Martin and Catherine Delaney that reached maturity. We had four that didn't reach maturity. What kind of black people are these two? Catherine Delaney named her children this and her husband, Martin Delaney. They, who they named their children. Most of them buried over here. We're going to go. They're buried with their parents. These are the names of their children. Toussaint Louverture. Charles Lennox Ramon. He was an abolitionist. Alexander Dumas. St. Cyprian. Faustin Saluk. That Saluk. That's another patient. Placido Ramesses. You got an ancient Egyptian name. And Placido, remember Blake or the Huts of America? Placido was in there. Uh, they didn't have no girls? Oh, they had one girl. She's buried out there. This is this the girl's name. Highly Amelia Ethiopia. Y'all stop lying on black people. I heard only the descendant to slaves. Bruh, you have no sense of interdependent healing the first step you understand you have no step then uh, no sense of the second step the second step is the truth telling tell the truth as Mari Evans from Indianapolis who lived in Indianapolis said speak the truth to the people the third step now you can get into the accounting and the demand and then of course the fourth step compensation and then maybe some reconciliation but what we're not going to do is start with, let me get the amount here, the test scores here, the housing numbers here, the segregation here. Did you start with the interdependent healing? Well, I, what? What is that? Okay, you can't be trusted. We'll bring you in when it's time to, to look at the mortgages and look at the loans and all that's very important. But if you don't start with us, not only our problems, but our strengths, our governance, governance formations that we brought with us and then adapted to this space as we were forced into identities we didn't have before. You are indeed the descendant of a slave and not a human being. Delaney was very clear. What we went through strengthened us, hurt us, but it was a we that went through it. This is why we look at Martin Delaney. It's 8956. Let me do this right quick, Pro. This is a, this, where I'm in one of the galleries. You see, be the queen you were born to be. This is a new exhibit on women of African descent who are from Ohio. Marie Clark, brilliant sister. I'm just going to show you some of the people in here. Only big, 
key, very important uh, figure, Charity Edna Adams Early. Keep going. Now, you start seeing Black Power Era. Some of these names you won't know. Many of these names you won't. Voting rights activist and worker, Marion Spencer. But check this sister out from Cleveland. Y'all know her? Ain't that Ruby D? Oh! <laughs> Sarah Harper, Columbus, Ohio. Let me get this straight because I'm going to, again. Uh-oh! She went to Central State. Leah T. Price, born in Laurel, Mississippi. Her teacher was one of the teachers who taught, actually, um, no, so yeah, Central State. She went to Central State, now we're before. And here are some of her albums. Leah Teen Price is an Ohio story. Uh-oh. In Ohio. I think we know this sister. Chloe Wait a Brooks. minute, Doc. Doc you're, 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 frozen. you're frozen for a second. Go back to Toni Morrison. Go go back to Cordelia. There you there go. There she goes. Morrison. Miss Morrison, of course, we know, is from Lorraine, Ohio, the great Virginia Hamilton. This is the children's book author. So many things. She's from Yellow Springs. That's Dave Chappelle, where he is now. You see? In the books? You see? And I won't go through. Uh oh, Cincinnati. And another sister, right? There you go. Some of her stuff. Maybe Giovanni. Congresswoman Beatty, Joyce Beatty, Cincinnati. Right? And we long and read a dub. National Poet Laureate. Akron. Yeah. Hey, what's going on, y'all? It's just showing some What's up? Everything good? Good, good. Be the queen you were born to be. Now, I'm not going to do a whole lot more. I just want to show y'all a few. Oh, yeah. Y'all got to go here. The great Anna Julia Cooper. Her time. She went to Oberlin down up in northern Ohio. Pan-Africanism. Well, there's Marcus Garvey. What does Garvey got to do? Oh, y'all better nobody. Y'all better get up on that Ida Gibbs hunt. Give y'all homework. Let's go back to another Oberlin person who we talked about many times, Pra. Uh, remember we talked about her early. Mary Church Terrell. <laughs> no question. This is, these are Ohio stories, y'all. These are Ohio stories. Mary Burnett Talbert. Talk a little science. Eleanor Phillips Stewart. Okay. Come over here. Oh my God. Wilberforce. Charlotte McKechnie. This sister right here. This sister came from South Africa. She is one of the founding mothers who worked with the African National Congress. Yes. She is a purebred warrior hero in South Africa. Well, before she university, y'all. Let's just see. This is just one of the. I'm over walk through. Hey, what's going on, y'all? <laughs> Here's the John Fleming Gallery. I'm just showing y'all a few of the things. I won't go in. I'm just going to show you from the front door. They have an exhibit here on the double victory, lynching our fight back in the military and talking about double victory here the john fleming gallery they always start with africa in the museum coming through here global identity of african people this is a permanent exhibit that ties africa to 
the diaspora. The history of the museum is along the wall. It's, of course, a partner in the Smithsonian. But that's not the National Museum of African American History and Culture. This is NAMIC, National Afro-American Museum and Cultural Center in Wilberforce, Ohio. I understand. Here, John Fleming. There's Dr. Fleming right there. You see? All right. I'm going to take you out here. This is where the Laney Symposium is being held. People are starting to gather. There they go. They're going to see me. Now I'm in trouble. There's my motor beast. You see? Now we're in the lobby. This is the lobby. I want to bring you over here because you see the lobby of the museum. Permanent Paul Lawrence Dunbar exhibit. Because we're going to Dunbar a little bit later. Diamond of the Gym City, Paul Dunbar. But I want to end with this brother. What's going on? <laughs> you see it? There you go. This is my man right here. Oh, this is Greg Harris. This is the man right here. Say hello to the people. Hello, this is the man. Thank you, Baba. Standing by the man himself, the great Colonel Charles Young. <laughs> the Buffalo. Better. Nobody better. Man, y'all had the horse here. Oh, wow. Yes, sir, we did. Wow. Charles Young's horse. Yes, sir. Whew. Thank you, Ms. Harris. Those are the All right, y'all. They get ready to start. Now, can you hear me, bro? Yes. Yes. Okay. I want to mention this because there was a time in this museum when they had the taxidermy, the taxidermy where they preserved the horse. They get ready to start. Oh, that's Larry. What's up, y'all? Hey y'all. Hey, I'm coming to see you. Larry, we start. We gotta start. That's this thing about is freedom fighter, South African. You talking about Winnie Mandela? Yeah, we talked that sister. I mean, there are other things you can see too. This, for example, that's one of uh, Count Basie's actual outfits. And of course, over here, Black Arts Movement. We're talking about Black Power. You see Sidney Poitier. A lot of stuff in here that we took time and looked. I didn't go through all the galleries, but Charles Young's horse was here. Y'all remember the story of Charles Young, right? Charles Young, I'm going to come back in and sit down, and we'll end. Charles Young, when he was, World War I came, he was in line to become the highest ranking black officer in the country. He would, they would have to make him a multi-star general. So they retired Charles Young. Charles Young, they said, they retired him because they said, well, you got high blood pressure, you're at an age, we got to retire you. So I'm sure y'all remember what Charles Young did. At the time he was on the faculty here at Wilberforce. Charles Young got on the horse that used to be in the lobby. I got to ask Mr. Harris what happened. It may have been a long because they, they, you know, Charles Young got on his horse and rode his horse from Wilberforce, where I am now, where I took a plane from National to Dayton. Last time I was here, I drove and bought all the books between here and, and Maryland, which was, <laughs> but this time I flew. Charles Young didn't fly. Charles Young got on his horse in Wilberforce down the street at his house and rode his horse to Washington, D.C. <laughs> Charles Young said, oh, 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 high blood pressure. Oh, I'm too old. 
So what did they do? They waited to the war and into his last days. Then they unretired him because they didn't want to make him that general. Oh, he's white people, man. When Charles Young died, his funeral was the largest funeral to that date in Washington, D.C. He was buried in Arlington National Cemetery under a huge block of granite that just has one word on the side, Young. Du Bois said, this man here, this is the man. Remember Charles Young at West Point? Remember Charles, Charles Young? Charles, mm, Charles Young, who made transition in Africa. Oh, there's a story. Charles Young, Buffalo Soldier, Charles Young, 95th Cavalry, 24th, 25th Division, so-called Buffalo Soldiers. Charles Young, who took his men out west, Yellowstone National Park, carving those paths through that. Charles Young, who, uh, I mean, I can say so much about Charles Young. He's buried in Arlington National Cemetery, but his children are buried here. We're going to see them when we finish the ritual here. So, man, that's just a little bit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, first of all, thank you. There are people who live in Ohio who will never, who have never been to this museum. There are people who That's live right. all over the world who will never probably go to this museum. The The purpose of In Class With Cars started as breadcrumbs, right? Yes. Breadcrumbs yes. that then you're responsible. So as you talk about people not reading books, someone in the chat was like, we need to have a, a lesson on how to read. No, we don't need a lesson on how to read. Just start picking up the breadcrumbs, finding the things that you're interested in, the people that you're interested in, and go down these rabbit holes, go through uh, picking up these breadcrumbs, making a meal for yourself. And that's what mm -hmm. I was saying when I said, you know, there's a lot of some offense in the chat about me saying people should come here whole. What well, you're whole already, but the work to be of service, sometimes we're not mm. ready to serve, right? Sometimes Good we're not ready to serve because, you know, we, we have some things that we need to work on in order to be of true service to build the world that we want to live in. It's no that's indictment. Right. You know, we're That's all right. works in progress every day. You know, I get up thankful that I get to be in community here, that I get to sit on the radio where I'm forced to have to read and study so that I'm not sound like an idiot on the air. But also that I get yes, to talk with too. people who know, who know more, more about things than I do. It's probably why you do the, you know, your, your black table with talking with authors. It forces you to read and then you get to ask questions of people. Us all the time. Howard French, we get to ask questions. We get to that's ask right. questions. And that's, that's, right. the, that's the true meaning of learning, right? Asking questions. But we got to first ask these questions of ourselves. Where are the areas that we need to work on? What are the things we need to work through? What are the, the childhood trauma that we might have forgotten? And do the work so that we can build the world for our, our children's children's children, for the world's sake, not even for our kids' sake. For yeah. the, the world needs us to be whole. Y'all, the world needs us to be whole. And collectively, we are. So The world needs us to be whole. That's right. Oh, that's so powerful. That's, that's the problem. There was no bigger Pan-Africanist than Black nationalist in the 19th century than Martin Robeson Delaney. But there was also nobody who fought harder for equal rights where his people were. These two things are not separate. And the problem this country has is, and the problem the white world has is, you want us, but you want us for your purposes. You don't want us to come in as our full selves. You want us to come in as images. Of, you want us to come in as Tina Turner, not anime bullet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And to the degree that we can come in as both, we should. Tina Turner lived her life as a whole person. I don't put none of this on Tina Turner. But the life and career of Tina Turner is also a powerful mediation on who we are to other people and who we are to each other. 
we should be able to show up as who we are in the world. You're absolutely right, because the world needs that. This is Delaney's point in Origin of Racism and Color. I'm not just doing this to protect myself. I'm doing this because we have something special to give to humanity. And if I leave all of my memory outside, I'm not, gonna, I'm not only going to be no good to myself, I'm going to be no good to you. I'm going to be no good to you. So, yeah, that's a fight. That's a fight. That's the hill we climb, yeah. young sis. That's the hill we climb. And we're going to climb it because we, you know. No question. We're going to get up that hill, horse or no horse. Horse or no horse. Because I can't ride no horse from Ohio, too. I can't ride no horse, period. Can you ride a horse? You, you rode a horse, Professor Hunter? Yes. Yeah, my daddy actually okay. took horse back riding when I was four. And uh, I thought I remember you saying something. I've, I've been on a horse. I've been on a horse in countries. I've been on a horse. I'm, I'm not, you know, I ain't going to be galloping and, and doing all of the things. But, yeah. <laughs> I ain't afraid. I ain't afraid of a horse. But uh, listen, no this question. is I incredible. Um, I will encourage everybody in Ohio. Like we shouldn't live somewhere we don't know intimately. We shouldn't live somewhere right. where our children don't know the, the schools that the, the names on our schools, the names on our street signs, and def, and definitely be in That's community right. in these museums right. because. Uh, oh, oh are, I, I should. I yeah. should mention this. Yellow Springs is right down the road. We're about maybe an hour from Columbus, Ohio. We're maybe about 40 minutes from Cincinnati, maybe 20 minutes from Yellow Springs. You know, Yellow Springs where Dave Chappelle uh, lives. But most importantly, that first time in 97, Larry was reminding me when we were coming out, uh, Dr. Sion was there when we had the first one. Dr. Sion, of course, is Dave Chappelle's mother Mom, because yeah. she taught for many years at Wright State. So I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah, this is it's all right here. <laughs> no question. And, and the great Nikki Giovanni, who um, um, I sat with for an hour, I'm going to you know, hey, that. look, here he is. Come on. Get, come on. There go Larry Crow. Oh, Baba Crow. What's going on? She can't hear. Hold up. He can't, gonna... he can't hear me. All right. you say hello for me. Say hello for me. Hello. Yeah. Can you see? Can you see? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. so, I was talking about Dr. Uh, Sian. You said she, she came and she was here. But this is the man right here. I'm one of them. No, you are the man. <laughs> one of many. I'm so, glad I am, too. Are we going to restart? Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, yes, yes, yes. you still got a little. Uh, greetings, Doctor Hunter. How are you? Hi, hi, Ashe. Ashe. Yes. Good to see you again. And, Good to see uh, you. This is, this is a program we've been doing since 1997. When we discovered that Martin Delaney was buried out here in Wilberforce, we uh, read it in uh, Dorothy Sterling's book. I think. And I said, well, so we started coming out here asking people, where is he buried? And nobody said, Delaney, who? Martin, Martin, who? So. They found, to make a long story short, they found his grave smooshed down in the mud in Massey Creek Cemetery, face down. They, they pulled it up. They weren't sure who it was, and it was Martin Delaney. So this is about 1995. So I told uh, my colleagues in Chicago, well, uh, more like my mentors and colleagues, uh, Dr. Jacob Carruthers and Dr. Anderson Thompson of uh, the great uh, Center for Inner City Studies. And uh, Dr. Carruthers said, uh, Larry Crowell, we got to go to Wilberforce. We got to take a, a bus to Wilberforce. So we did that. And uh, in 97, we took a busload of uh, members of the Comedic Institute, the Temple of the African Community, Chicago, the Institute of Positive Education, and everybody else we could find. Put them on the bus, brought them here. Uh, Dr. Greg about the car. That was, doctor. Uh, he was then a law student, I think, at Ohio State. No, I was in, I was in Philly by then. You already? You in Philly? Lean, oh, yeah. ramen noodle eating study. graduate student. That's right. On the bus. Yeah. Yes, he was lean and mean and ready to, you know, 
So he, yeah, I got pictures of us standing out there at the gravesite. My son was in high school then. Uh, you know, Dr. Thompson, uh, my mentor from Wright State, who you just mentioned, Dr. Yvonne Sion, who's uh, the mother of Dave Chappelle, the comedian, and he's got a lot to learn from her. So <laughs> she's the genius of the family. No question. You know, she was, uh, yeah, director of the Bling Center at Wright State University. She introduced us to Hoyt W. Fuller and David Driscoll and, and uh, Negri the Negritude Movement. And uh, the ambassador from Ghana came for our opening. We opened with uh, the Tucson Louverture series uh, by Jacob Lawrence, 32 paintings. You know, uh, we exhibited artwork. I mean, it was just wonderful, you know. I just want to, I would want to go back. You read in a book that Martin Delaney was born, was buried in Ohio. Yes. And that, that led you down a rabbit hole to find where, find out where, yes. right? I, I just, I just want for everybody that's like, you know, yes, people have degrees and they have all of these things. And Larry Crow has been a world-class historian. I no question. had no the question. pleasure of sitting with him, amazing human being, but you read something in a book. Yeah. And that, that forced I, I, you to get out and do something. You didn't just go, oh, that's interesting. Okay. But you were like, wait a minute, he's in Ohio? And you became a detective and found right. his grave. And as right. a result now, every year, this man who went nameless to many of us because of you, because one person read it in a book and to do something. Well, there, there was information about him, but he was one of the more obscure figures of the 19th century because he... He fell out with the Republican Party. A lot of blacks were Republicans in those days. He fell out with the Republican Party over uh, different uh, kinds of chicanery during Reconstruction. He didn't, you know, so he fell out of favor with them. But he, uh, and he, he, he went down a rabbit hole uh, of which he almost lost his life during Reconstruction in South Carolina. But he came back, but he, he was always a person dedicated to the black community and uh, our people. That, that was his identity, his purpose, you know, and uh, so that's why we come out here and talk about him. He was, he was one of the first Pan-Africanists, in addition to being a universal genius and a person who would stop during the days of all that political turmoil in the Alleghenies and contemplate the nature of existence. You know, what are we doing here? What is this human living? He was a scientist. He was a medical doctor. He did so many things. Baba Crow, why did, why did you know that you could create this? Because everything that y'all in right now is because of you, right? Because of well, you. You're going to say, well, you know, no, you, you no. don't have to accept that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You just gonna Yeah, yeah you go ahead and take it. He just receive that. that. But why, why did you, why did you not stop? Why did you not stop? What, what made you know that you, you needed to do this? What was driving you? Well, not enough people knew about him. He's a, one of the black heroes that black people don't think they had. They don't think they had anybody in the 19th century that went to Africa. When I told uh, Leon Harris, he said, he said, I don't believe that, Crow. <laughs> he went to Africa in 1815. I said, yes, Leon. It's in South I just showed him to in uh, Victor Ullman's book and Dorothy Sterling's book. The, a Search for a Place was published. You know, yeah. Howard Holman Bell, I think, was the editor of that. I mean, so I had to show him. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he got interested. But people just don't. They can't imagine a figure like that. But you said how to read. This is how. Well, I would sit with this man right here, Anderson Thompson. And they would talk about people, books, ideas, mm -hmm. and I wear my hand out taking notes. This is the genealogy: Harvard, Yale, Howard, Stanford. I don't care. I'm just telling y'all right now. I'm gonna take that point of personal privilege. Well, this, this is what it looks like. Right. Y'all, y'all go with your masters somewhere. That interaction, I man. I was a spark 
I think, for Delaney. But if it wasn't for Anderson Thompson, Jacob Carruthers, Greg Camonte Carr yeah, here. I'm, I, I got to hang with y'all. Y'all let me you know. Yvonne Jones, Ethan yes. Carruthers. Yes. You know, he, you know, they all wanted to come. Charles and Carolyn Grantham, Muriel Ballard, Rosetta Cash. You know, uh, Chester Spears who just passed away. Just made transition. Deborah actually. Johnson, who uh, came all the way from Buffalo. Yes, I said she just she made transition. She drove all the way from Buffalo, New York. Yes. Now she was working on the Harriet Tubman house. That's right. In, and, in, in Buffalo. In fact, uh, next month, June, we go to Harriet Tubman's house. Uh, she just, oh, oh, come on, man. Get her back. Get, get in this chair because you're an old man. Number three. Uh, I am. I am old man. <laughs> We're going to get ready to go in a minute. But I got it. Deborah Johnson, who made transition, yeah. yeah, she's in Buffalo and working with Amy Zion Church, huh? Man? Yeah. Yeah, who have the Harriet Tubman home in, in Auburn, New York. That's another ritual, people know. Mm -hmm. that's just, right. No, that's, you good. You good. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, she just made transition, our sister. And people yeah. said, who is Deborah Johnson? A black woman who said, not enough people know her. That's all. I just I wanted to um, first of all uh, tell you how much I love both of you. Uh, Thank you. You know, and, and the love when I say love is an action word. You know, the love is that you love, right? You love your love of us, your love of history, your love of of putting this this tapestry back together. Have, you know, you've now enriched all of our lives as a result of it. You know, and it was it was selfless, right? You, you weren't thinking I'm going to be famous doing this or it's just because you serve Martin Delaney's memory that we now That's get right. to sit in community. We, we, we don't charge them. anything for this. We, you know, we just invite people out. The museum lets us use the space for free. The cemetery is free. All we do is show up and uh, Martin and Catherine yeah. Delaney and their children and all the other Africans. If you go in more day weekend, y'all go out. If you have a military veteran in your family, when you see USCT, on a grave, that's, right. that's somebody who laid down for you. That's who, right. Who gave their life. It's sometimes in battle, who went and risked their lives to free us, United States colored troops. So this is a lot of USCT in Massachusetts. Huh? Oh, yeah. And uh, they're in uh, Xenia. Uh, they're in Springfield, Ohio. There's some in Dayton in the cemetery. In fact, uh, Joshua Dunbar, Paul Lawrence Dunbar's father, is buried in the National Cemetery in Dayton. There's a huge national cemetery. It was the biggest in the country at one time. The Civil War diorama and all that stuff. But uh, Joshua Dunbar's buried there. He was in the 54th Massachusetts and the 55th. Oh he got wounded in one of them, and then he, he joined the other one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they tried to make him. He stop. was determined. He was determined <laughs> to yeah. And the, the lady recognized this. In 1865 at the Brick Church, remember the yes. church on, on St. Helena? Yes, that's right. He said, the first thing I want you to realize is that you freed yourselves, no question. He said, did you hear me? And they said, uh, did you hear me? They said, you freed yourselves. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They started, like, you know, working them up. The, uh, there was a white uh, union lieutenant who was writing down, there's trouble in Denmark. This bro is... <laughs> This nigga but, but not Shakespeare, one. not Denmark. Yeah, He's trouble in Denmark, South That's Carolina. Right. That's right. That's right. That's so, right. so the event starts now for everyone yeah. who's uh, right. there. Starts now. What is what's the order? You know, if folk are in the area, because there's a lot of people in in the chat who are 35 minutes away, an hour away. What's going to be going okay. on for the rest of the day that people can participate in? Well, we'll, we're going to have a program. We're going to talk about the life of Martin Delaney and its implications for all of us here until about 1230. Then we're going to go out to Massey's Creek Cemetery, which is about four miles 
from Wilberforce towards Cedarville, uh, and um, there in that black cemetery, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a libation ceremony, and then we're gonna come back to Dayton to Ebonia Gallery. That's Bing Davis's gallery, and uh, there's another gallery by James Pate who just just been opened up. He's a great artist, and uh, so we just for, and eat some lunch and go to the gallery, then go to Dunbar House. That's that's what today is going to be about. So. Uh, so you, Paul, got Paul, you, got noon, you got a couple of hours if you, uh, you know, you can catch us at the museum or come down to the, to right. the cemetery. This, or, this is historic ground, uh, no question. And, uh, and uh, you can imagine uh, in David Levering Lewis's book, he has a scene, historic scene where Paul Ernst Dunbar, Colonel Charles Young, and W.E.B. Du Bois are having an evening of poetry, reading, and music at Charles Young's house. It's can crazy. you imagine right that? Because that, that's where history becomes magic when these figures meet each other and interact. Mm. So. All right. Yeah. Well, Thanks. listen, Ashe, thank both of you. Uh, Dr. Carr, always out in them streets, uh, taking us through. Baba Larry Crow, none of this happens without you. So thank you thank so you. much for your for your commitment and, and determination to make, make this happen. And the spirit of Martin Delaney lives. Yes. Because we keep Martin saying his name. Yeah, yeah. This museum might be sitting on the land that his house was on. Was on. That's you true. Know, they don't know exactly where his house was. It was in this area near Shorter Hall, you know, in Wilberforce, the old Wilberforce campus. Of course, most of it blew away in 1974 during the big tornado. Mm -hmm. you know. So but, we 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 carry the word forth, and then this yes. newbie is out there. So and hey, y'all, come on down. And like you say, thank you because you made this possible, opening the way. Now people all over the world. That's right. I'm people all over the world. We ain't going back now, Pra. No. You freed yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say that. You know, at the end of the day, we are all only being obedient, you know, to the spirit that is driving within us. So we gotta answer. But you know, first we gotta be in touch with what that is, right? So that's the work. Getting in touch with that so that we can be then uh do the work like Baba. Larry Crow, like Baba, Greg Carr, and all of the folk that are there right now putting this together, the drummers and everything. We are moved to do things, but we got to first move the junk out of the way. That's gotta right. move all, of the, all of that supremacy and oppression and all trauma. We got to move it out of the way so we can do this stuff. This is amazing. Oh, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. Thank you, guys. Safe travels, Dr. Carr. See you on Monday. Love you. Love you. All right, y'all. All right, everyone have a wonderful holiday weekend. I will see y'all in the Nubian streets tomorrow, Monday, and, and beyond. <laughs>